Blog Talk Radio. Block Talk Radio, UltimateSportsTalk.com, and John M. Davis, Books.Wix.com, LFL Network, alongside the uh, always informative Troy Wilson, Oscar Lopez. Uh, don't know if Nkishi will be on here with us today. Holly Custis will not be with us today, but she will return next week. And we do have a, a guest today. We have Neil Rosenthal, who's going to cover the WFA 2016 season through eight weeks. And then we're going to get a preview with him in terms of what it's going to look like for the next uh, three weeks as the playoffs uh, come about in the Women's Football Alliance. So, Troy, how's it going today? Uh, pretty good. You know, can't complain too much. Uh, you know, last week I had had a few issues. Uh, my son was apparently bitten by a dog, so it was hard for me to get on. I tried to get back as quickly as I could, but I ended up being in the emergency room until four in the morning, so that was a bit that was a bit much. But you know, all is well now in the world. Teaching my kids how to approach dogs. <laughs> so anyone out there that has kids, make sure when you approach dogs. Make sure that you ask the owner first, and then, you know, tell them to extend their hands slowly so they can make sure that the dog is a friendly dog and give the dog a chance to make a choice. So just that's my little tidbit of information right there for anyone out there that has kids or for yourself also. But other than that, man, I've been pretty great. Yeah, it's unfortunate how that happens, but, um, you know, uh, animals are no different. You know, they fear certain things, and then they – they use mechanisms, obviously, to defend themselves, and sometimes that happens. Absolutely. you got to understand it from their viewpoint as well. So we have the uh, announcement uh, Los Angeles and Atlanta are going to get two of the Super Bowls that just come over the wire on um, Leecher this, like a couple hours ago. So what's your take? Uh, L.A., it'll be their second season, and then obviously they're going to you know, open up the stadium. So similar, I think, in Atlanta, where they're going to host the Super Bowl two, uh, two, exactly two years after their opening of their of their um, new stadiums. Yeah, and, and also uh, down in um, uh, you know uh, down in South Florida as well for Miami, um, and, and that's that's what teams want to do now. All these teams want to get these these new stadiums so they can get events like this, so they can host the Super Bowls and. Uh, also host concerts. I mean, you got you got to give a big shout out to uh, Cowboys Jerry Jones because this guy, you know, he's kind of setting the precedent. Um, you know, he's got an indoor stadium. This thing has all the bells and whistles, and you know, and also the Cardinals as well. Uh, you know, with the Cardinals in their stadium, they did the same thing. 
and you know as much revenue as that they're generating, not just from football games, but from concerts and events that they have. Teams are starting to understand, hey, you know, we can make a lot more revenue if we make these stadiums the way they are, and, and just with the of course, got to add all these luxury boxes in there. So they're ta- they're they're taking steps forward. To the NFL wants to get all these teams for the Super Bowls, and I think it's because they have the newer stadiums. If you notice, that's the trend. All you know, you got Houston, Minnesota, Atlanta, South Florida, LA. All of these teams have newer or or brand new stadiums. So most of the teams are also going to take notice, and they want to bring that revenue into their stadiums as well. Yeah, and it's uh, kind of uh, indicative of what's been happening in the last couple years anyways. It's where everybody is looking for some sort of added revenue off-season. So this kind of benefits them a lot. Absolutely. Anytime you can get a a country music star to come down to, to, to Dallas, and they can sell the whole joint out for 80000 or you can have a Final Four in your stadium just like they did in Dallas, and they sell out the whole thing, 80000 plus, because you add the seats also. Because, you know, the college basketball court is not as big as a football stadium, so they can add more seats there. What else did they have? Did they have WrestleMania? I mean, all of these things add up, and it is spectacular. I mean, Jerry Jones is set for life, all because this guy has a state-of-the-art stadium that he can do many things with, and that's every, every team is taking notice of that. Yeah, and, and Los Angeles should be big because uh, Los Angeles is one of those places where they're going to have to have big-time revenue coming in, uh, especially with the new first season. Yeah, and, and L.A. being the town that it is, just, oh, man, I, you know, I saw the rendering of the stadium. Man, it, it's one of the more impressive um one of the more impressive venues I've ever seen. I, I just cannot wait to see what's going on the inside. Just the outside looked, you know, almost space age. I mean, it's something that you almost find on the Jetsons. That, you know, that's my old guy, you know, uh, statement right there, the Jetsons. A lot of you young kids don't even know who the Jetsons are. But if you t- take a look at this thing, it looks like a palace, man. So I cannot wait to see what it looks like. I also saw the, the Vikings rendering. Uh, and they're all the renderings are kind of going to that, you know, kind of space age, a lot of glass, you know, natural light kind of feel to it. So I, I can't wait to see how, how all these stadiums look when they finish with them. Los Angeles should be more like Disneyland uh, from what I'm told. So we'll see how well that turns out for them uh, in terms of, you know, what the uh, the tenant is going to be in the first year. It's a lot of excitement going on right now, but we'll see how that transpires into you know, when the Super Bowl comes to town. Yeah, and just imagine if the Raiders actually make good on what their plans are is to, to go to Las Vegas. Can you imagine that? A Las Vegas Super Bowl? Oh, my gosh. I mean, you're talking about, man, I, I can't even imagine what that would be like. Obviously, I think, you know, if they're going to build something out in Las Vegas, I think more than likely you're going to have a dome just because of how the heat is out there. Uh, it would be a heck of a home field advantage if they didn't have a dome. But I think more than likely they'll have a dome out there. And just imagine everything that would transpire with that if the Raiders did move to Las Vegas and then uh, obviously they'd build a brand-new stadium there for them as well. Yeah, the, uh, you know, every owner has to make a decision, and nobody likes it. I mean, look at St. Louis. They you know they went from Cleveland to Los Angeles and Los Angeles to St. Louis and then back to Los Angeles. So, 
logistic-wise, you know, if, if the market doesn't make sense for sustainability, they're going to make a move. And the Raiders have been on this circle forever. I mean, since they left Los Angeles, they've been looking even before uh, Al Davis passed away. Um, his kids and the ownership there have been looking for Oakland to step up, and uh, I don't think that's ever going to happen there. So Vegas, if they put a dome stadium, it makes way better sense. And then revenue-wise, it's you know Raiders are very popular in terms of a franchise, so that will bring in instant revenue to Las Vegas. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't see the Raiders going anywhere and not being successful because they travel well. If you look at any of the games that they that they go to, it doesn't matter if it's on the West Coast or East Coast. Their fans come are are, are coming out. I mean, they have one of those brands that, you know, that, that's easily recognizable no matter where you go, no matter what kind of fan you are. And if the Raiders start winning, you'll see those fans start to come out there in droves. I mean, even when they were losing, you know, the, the, the maniacal fans that they had over there in Oakland, I mean, these guys come out dressed in costumes. They'll still take that to wherever they go. So um, I, I don't think it will be an issue with the, with the Raiders as far as, Given their fan support and fan involvement, I think they'll they'll travel well no matter where they go. Now, uh, Troy, on on this deflate um, ongoing drama, I mean, it, it, at some point it's got to end, but now it's becoming a reality TV show. What do you think? You know, I, I think the NFL really should be ashamed of themselves. I think this is. More than beating a dead horse, I think this is this is something where it's almost like have you ever been into an argument with someone and you know they've been proven wrong, but they just can't admit it, and they just have to keep it going. I mean, there's no sort of you know, and it, and it just keeps the argument going, it keeps the beef going, and this is one of those things. I mean, the NFL has already you know it's already been ruled in court that the NFL didn't have the power to to make this ruling against their own employees. And and that's what this is about. Um, it's already been, you know, not to mention uh, the NFL is not releasing the most important data, which is, you know, after you had the deflate gate, uh, and they said that the balls were underinflated and everyone's, you know, making a big brouhaha about that. So in 2015, the, the, the thing was that the NFL was supposed to calculate in every single game, the PSI before the game started, at halftime, and at the end, and they were supposed to post those results. Has anyone seen these results? No, they haven't. And the reason why they haven't is because that what they found is that about 80% of the balls were underinflated. And that, you know, this is just one of the things that happened but they don't want to post that out there because that makes them look like idiots. This is something that, that naturally occurs. So they don't want to put it out there because then it takes all the leverage away from them trying to, you know, penalize Tom Brady and getting the stigma off is that, you know, that they are taking sides uh, with the owner, uh, Bob Kraft, because, you know, Goodell and he are, are really good friends. So just to see how all this stuff is starting to pan out. And I don't blame Tom Brady for, you know, appealing this. I would, too. I mean, how many times are you going to have to come back against me? I mean, luckily this isn't necessarily, you know, uh, a thing where Tom Brady murders someone because, you know, double jeopardy will be in, in case, it, 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 you know, in play here. But, I mean, how many times are you going to have to go after this guy for the same thing? Let it go. 
took your loss. You went to court. You took your loss. And just, you know, they should just go ahead and let it go. That's what I'm saying is this is this is just kind of a ridiculous, um, you know, going forward. Waste of money, waste of resources. I mean, we're talking about a football that, was, that wasn't that was a pressure. I mean, we're not talking about an injury, a neck injury. We're not talking about a life-threatening, you know, uh, casualty of some sort with a player. You know what I mean? It's just the, the infraction rules. We're not even talking exactly. that level. We're just talking about just an incident that we shouldn't even be talking about technically right now. Um, and Keisha, are you with us? Hey guys, how are you doing tonight? Good. We're just uh, we're just chatting away about the Deflategate ongoing drama. So, uh, you know, no, we're just our, our feelings is it should be over. Uh, we so all want this to be over. I can imagine Erica pulling her hair out right about now. Oh, I know. Over Seriously, all of, over all of this, it it is over the top. It's way too much. And Troy, your analogy about an ongoing argument and debate is a perfect analogy. And, and in some many ways, it's almost like a parent with a child. And, you know, and, and Troy, I'm sure you have these arguments with the boys. And eventually, this is almost coming down to a, you're on punishment because I said so. Well, even if you didn't do the thing that I thought you did, you did something else, so I'm going to teach you that you still can't do the wrong, and I'm going to punish you. That's, you, know what I'm, you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, that. And, and, oh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we're, 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 we all have parents, and we've all been down sure, that road yeah. where, you know, yeah. m- mom pops you upside the head, but mom, Billy did it. Well, that, you know, it, or, it, well, you were going to do it anyway, or that old, you know, joke you know the the cop hit the three people and well, what'd you hit the fourth guy for just for thinking about it because you said i wish you would so i'm giving you your wish you know it, it, it's that kind of a thing and and i'm, I'm ready for it the, to go away i think i think troy is right um it was it, it had gone away and then all of a sudden you know um something internally into brady's you know heart or something came back and said this just isn't right <laughs> you know i'm getting yeah, smeared yeah. You know, and so he's like, you know what? I got the I got the resources and the time, and let's let's. Uh, it's really it's really Brady Goodell. It's really what it is. Yeah, it isn't even Brady NFL. Really Brady Goodell, because the NFL really doesn't have to do anything with that. But Goodell is the one that has made this such a big deal. Um, so I, if anybody's going to come out of this in a black eye, I think it's going to be the commissioner. Well, and, and, and just let me let me add, add something to that as well. I mean, think about it like this. Also, the Patriots already lost their first their first round draft pick, and I think a fourth round next pick next year. You know, and, and for something that number one, you have Roger Goodell who who's trying to be the disciplinarian. Okay, well, mm-hmm. in the rule book, in the NFL rule book, a deflation in the ball corresponds with a twenty five thousand dollar fine. How do you just arbitrarily make up a punishment? Where number one, you're saying That's a guy correct. is suspended for four games, and then number two, you're penalizing the team for draft picks. You can't That's retroactively true. punish them for things that you're saying that they got away with in the past. That number two, you helped them with. You're the your right. office destroyed the tapes when they're talking yeah. about you know, whatever Spygate. So yep. how how do you come back and just try to retroactively do this? Because he's you know. I, that that guy he, he incenses me, and I'm just watching this man to to watch somebody do do something like that. You can't trust a guy like that 
is that reason why you have so much vitriol between him and the players also because they're looking at this guy like, are you kidding me? You just all you just right. yep. the rules as you call on. Come yeah, on, but man. here's the problem. Well, you know what? And, well, but the you problem know what? is through the arbitrate, through the CBA, you know, they didn't fight for this. This, this, this is partly, you know, and and you know, Troy Party, you come on board the show. Oscar and I had this conversation that you can only complain, but so much. There somewhere in the CBA, then someone should have relieved him of his ability to be, you know, the, the attorney, the judge, and the juror. You you, you can't yep. be all three. You you gotta pick. And that's that's you, you, you that was the issue pick. with that was the issue with the players' leadership. We talked about in the past the leadership of the players, the head of the players' association needed to be more clear about it. Um, you know what? Let's bring Neil in. Uh, let's talk uh, WFA, and then we'll go back to. Uh, the conversation at hand. So let's bring in Neil Rosenthal of the DC Divas and of neilrosenthal.com. Hi, Neil. How are you doing today? Hi, Oscar. How are you guys doing? Hi, Neil. Well, uh, Neil, I don't know if you want to get into into mud here, but we're talking to Flategate and Tom Brady, so I don't know if you want to dive into that before we start WFA. Oh, not too terrible bad. I mean, it's one of those things that just sort of it's dragged on and on, and I think, uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I mean, I think everybody will just be happy once it's resolved and over with. Cause, uh, yeah, but here's the problem, that he has the possibility of going to the Supreme Court with this foolishness. That's what really bothers me. Well, you know, the Supreme Court uh, needs something to do, I guess. Well, yeah, they're down, <laughs> they're, down they're, they're, they're one man down. Doesn't look like they're gonna good one, good one. <laughs> oh, that's, that was good, Neil. I like oh, that. One. That was perfect. <laughs> oh, uh, Neil, um, Sorry, that was perfect. We've we've had a we've had a good week so far, or last two weeks, in terms of the women's game. I mean, a lot of exciting tier one matchups, going back to like said DC versus Boston and. And DC versus Chicago, and and now we have you know Chicago Boston, um, and nobody expected that uh, this past weekend uh, the 58-14. You know, everybody thought it was going to be a closer game, but uh, Chicago somehow, um, from what I'm hearing, uh, you can correct me, but I guess Allison uh, Cahill was not playing, uh, didn't play most of the game, some more than I'm told. So that's a big factor there, and so. Um, I guess Chicago took advantage of that aspect of it. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, that's really the story of, of women's football this week and, and really this season is uh, the injury to Allison Cahill. Uh, the Boston-Chicago matchup uh, was a big one. It was one that uh, was seen as one of the bigger uh, games in women's football this season. Uh, they were both uh, ranked in the top five going into the game and uh it was a close game it was i believe uh, i believe it was 14 to 6 boston at the end of the first quarter and um uh Cahill uh was sacked and her clavicle was broken oh and yeah and she uh did not return for the game she had season ending surgery she is presumed to be out for the rest of the season and, you know, a devastating loss for the Boston Renegades who, you know, we don't have such awards or anything like that. If you had had me uh, voting on something along the lines of a women's football player of the year, 
uh, this year, um, my vote would have gone to Allison Cahill, the Boston Renegades. She has had an absolutely fantastic season for them this year. Um, just a real, uh, a real leader for Boston this season, and for her to uh, go out in that game was just a really, really, really bad blow for Boston. And um, you know, it's uh, uh, it's going to be. It's going to be tough for them to bounce back. Of course, I'm sure they'll they'll rally together. They you know they've got plenty of talent on the team, but you you know, Cahill is one of those players who you don't just replace Allison Cahill. She is, uh, you know, like I say, she was having um, an MVP caliber season for Boston this year. So that was the the tough part of that result, and uh, you know we'll uh, we'll have to see how that works out going going forward. Um, I have a really quick question for you, Neil. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with Allison breaking her clavicle, I mean that that's huge. That's you know, mm-hmm. and, and as a female, I cringed on so many levels. So you all have your reasons, I have mine. That's just <laughs> painful, you know, because oh, that, yeah. the people underestimate, you know, the whole breast area. It, it is a very sensitive area. Um, so here's my question, though: these doing this during the season, these aren't full time jobs. Like if God, for, like actually, the clavicle is almost. If I is is that's the same bone that Tony Romo broke, you know? Uh, could but be, yeah, could be. If I remember correctly, it was the left clavicle, right above that left, uh, right above the heart area. That um, yeah, the left clavicle. But Tony Romo has the luxury of team doctors, and he has the luxury of sitting at home and this, that, and the other. These ladies have to do nine to fives. You know, so how then does does an injury like this impact their regular lives? Yeah, yeah. There's no question. It's uh, I mean, and that's and that's women's football in a nutshell. Um, you know, these these women and they understand that every single time they take the field, and it could be a high profile game like uh, Boston Chicago, or honestly, it could just be. You know, a regular old game. It could be a practice. I mean, well, you know, I, I know hanging around the DCD with the organization, we see as many people injured in practice as we do in games. I mean, you know, you get a player and, you know, we've had season-ending injuries in practice. I mean, because that's just that's, that's the way, it, you know, that's football. And, right. you know, the only thing you could do is maybe go no contact, but then you're not ready for games. And so right. you can't really do that either. And And so – you know, it's it, it absolutely affects their regular lives, and that's something these women know every single time they take the field, and that's why, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I personally give them, I don't care who the team is, I don't care what level you're playing at, I give these women so much uh, credit and admiration because, you know, uh, it's just, it's there's no question it's a, it's a difficult injury. And in Cahill's case, you know, it's, uh, it's such terrible timing. She had just against Pittsburgh, gone to Pittsburgh and won and became the first uh, player, the first quarterback in women's football history to uh, quarterback her way to 100 victories. Uh, and uh, in the very next game, uh, you know, there goes there goes her shoulder. And, you know, it's that's that's the risk every time you step on the field. And it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 there's no question, uh, you know, these, these veterans who give 10, 12, 14 years of their lives to this game, they, uh, you know, they, they, they put their health out there in addition to the money and the time that you put up. And so uh, it's, it's, it's an incredible sacrifice. There's no question about that. And, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, it's something we should always, you know, we should always keep in mind, you know, when you're 
you know, uh, uh, crediting these players for what they're doing. Absolutely, because I don't think there's any way, you know, um, most of our listeners know I'm a single mom, and there's just no way that I can go to my boss on Monday and say, I'm going to be out for two weeks because I broke my clavicle playing football. Right. No, and, and, and you know look that's at why. Me like I'm like I'm crazy because <laughs> right. now, right? That's you know because I've got to go out on family medical leave. I've got to do all of these things, but I'm doing it at their expense. Well, and I think in particular not, when you're talking about not people at the who, expense of the comp- yeah. not at the expense of the of the organization sure. for whom I actually sustained the injury, and I think that is the critical key. If Tony well, yeah, Romo I, I, gets yeah. injured, he's going to get workman's comp, and I mean all of those things or whatever it is that they get, or you know whatever the the, the uh, NFLPA and the CBA have argued that they're entitled to get as a result of injuries from this you know sport. But I am not going to get the same benefit because I am costing someone else money. Right. You know, right. vacation time. You know, sick leave. Because, you know, all of those things are now going to be utilized, cover an injury, playing professional football, because these things are not in place for these women. And I, 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 that just, that just hit home for me just now in a way that it just never has before, the reality of how much these women sacrifice and for them to not get the respect they deserve is just ridiculous. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I, I agree with that, I think. You know, I think uh, the health insurance, you know, particularly when you're talking about people who have jobs that have the physical aspect to it. I mean, for, you know, for these women who a lot of them, you know, they work construction. And if they're doing that kind of manual labor, them getting put out means they literally cannot do their jobs. And, it you know, it, it hurts their essentially their livelihoods in a lot of ways. And so, you know, that's the, you know, that's, what these women are putting out there in terms of, you know, to play the sport. And it, it, it really hits home just how, you know, how, how much this, uh, how much this can mean to them in terms of what they're putting on a line to do this. Yeah. And they, you know what, we follow it more on the scale of a social media aspect, but it never hits us to uh you know, reality state, you know, like yourself who's around them every day. For us, it's kind of like just a little bit of news. But when I heard of uh, when I heard today, after getting some feedback from you know from other sources, that she literally was out, and that she had broken the clavicle, uh, that was the first thing I was like, kind of like you know, it, it was a bummer mode. This is game 101 after she's put up you know almost 13 seasons with 100 wins, and uh, all of a sudden this you know this is a trap you know just it's just bad. And for for a quarterback like her, not just because she's a quarterback, but the individual, as you were talking about, Neil, uh, this is a, a huge blow not just to the team, but it's a huge blow emotionally for her too. Because now it's you know it's it's almost like what Holly's used to right now with the knee injury. She's uh you know it's a year rehab or uh, you know best case scenario it's six months of rehab depending on you know how, what good care you have and what offering you have in terms of insurance. So a lot of intangibles coming forward. Uh, you know, we know that we know that they're going to have to bounce back with somebody as their backup. And if it wasn't that in the case uh, then, it is now. And uh, so that's the reality now. Sure, sure. And uh, you know, as far as as bouncing back from an injury, Cahill, 
Cahill's a veteran. I mean, you know, if, if somebody is equipped to mentally handle it, it's it's Cahill. But again, it's it's such a tough loss for Boston on the field in the sense of, you know, uh, uh, Boston. You know, Boston's an interesting team. The the Renegades and the militia before them, they were always a running team. That was always their MO, is their running team. Whether it was you, the, your strategy going into playing Boston was always to try to make Cahill beat you. And that's not because Cahill wasn't a, a talented player. It's just that, you know, the running game was even stronger. I mean, whether it was Whitney Zealy or uh, really Mia Brickhouse before her, you wanted to Boston to try to be forced to throw the ball to beat you and put the game in Cahill's hands. Not because she wasn't great, but because Zealy and Brickhouse were just that good, and they were their first option. And you wanted to 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 shut them down that way. They were always a running team, and uh, this year, for whatever reason, their you know their running game just hasn't really materialized the way it has in years. You know, Zealy's still coming back from uh, uh, from a couple of injuries, back to back seasons, and you know, and and you know they've tried a couple of other people in the backfield, but it just they haven't had the running game gel in the dominant way that it has in years past. And so reality is, is uh, Cahill said, all right, put it on my back. And I'm going to carry this team to, to – I'm going to throw the ball 40 times a game, and we're going to win games that way. Right. And they actually have done that, which is, is crazy. Going into that Chicago game, the uh, Boston's top two wide receivers uh, were 1-2 in the league in receiving yards. And that's yep. just crazy. That's like that's unheard of. There are teams that do that, you know, Central Cal – has a great passing offense, and I think Kansas City, back when they had uh, uh, Jenny Schmidt slinging the ball around, they've had – there have been teams that do that, but Boston's not one of those teams. Like, Boston historically right. is not one of those teams. They're a ground-and-pound team, and to see, you know, them metamorphosize into that with Cahill basically saying, all right, running game and working, I'm just going to chuck it. Um, and, and I, you know, if you had one wide receiver going, going you know, off – Maybe you would say, okay, maybe they're great, you know, MVP caliber. But, uh, you know, and Adrian Smith and uh, uh, Emily uh, Benneke, whose name I'm probably mauling, but uh, she's a great young receiver. But those two, they're great wide receivers. But if you have two wide receivers doing that well, then, you you know, you got to look at the quarterback who's getting them the ball and say, she is making this thing go. And that's really why, you know, again, she Cahill is having – what I would say would be an MVP season if I were, you know, uh, picking such things because she's had to put the whole team on her back uh, for the most part this year, and 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 she's gotten it done. And you know, like I said, I work in the Divas front office, and Boston's uh, the big rival, and we're trained not to like Boston, and Boston's trained not to like us, and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, is you know, you respect talent, and she has she has put that team on her back this year, and yeah, it's it's. You know, Boston, um, you know, they, they finished the game with Shante Bonds. They moved her to quarterback. Uh, she uh, played. But the problem is, you know, Shante Bonds is a very talented player, but she was the one that they had uh, moved to running back because their running game had had so much trouble. So she'd been playing running back. So now Bonds moves to quarterback. Well, that's a downgrade from Cahill, obviously, and that's no insult to Bonds. Oh, yeah. Reality is anybody, anybody would be a downgrade from Cahill almost. And then, and then the reality is, then you don't have Bonds a running back. <laughs> so it's like, right. well, you put a run? So it hurts you two ways. And it's just, you know, and and Chicago, give them credit, but their team, they're not going to put the, they're not, they, they're not going to take the foot off the gas. They're going to play their starter no, no, all the way to the no. end. They're going to have their starter, well, when you got, quarterback when you, in the game with three. When you got Gore, go. when 
Yeah, when you got Gore you know? with all those legs and the speed on the edges, uh, you know, yeah. there's just no way. And then you got Brick. Brick is, you know, pounded straight. And, well, and, and then you, you, and you have Cornell. an offense that's – you have a Boston offense that's, that now can't generate any yardage and can't keep the ball away from them. Right. And, you right. know, and, they're, and they, they run a hurry-up type of style a lot of times, and they try to get as many plays in as they can and, and so forth. And, you know, it just it, – it snowballs on you. It can snowball, and Chicago certainly can do that if things start going their way. Uh, they have a tendency to snowball it, and, uh, you know, that's – that's definitely what happened in Boston. Uh, that was the story. Of, that, and, uh, really, that's, that was away. the story of the game because without her there, it really, like you said, the uh, there was no offensive comeback. So the defense got tired. Uh, you know, uh, Chicago was allowed to literally score at will after the second half. I mean, they really did that. Yeah. They just scored yeah. at will. Boston, Boston didn't score in the last three quarters. Uh, it was uh, it was fourteen to six Boston at the end of the first quarter, and it ended up being I think fifty eight fourteen. So, you know, they scored 52 on Ant. They outscored them 52 to nothing in the final three quarters. And I don't know when exactly Cahill went down in the game, but uh, it, I, I believe it was sometime in the second quarter. I'm not 100% on that. But uh, regardless, it was uh, – it's, it's – you know, there are certain players who are almost irreplaceable. And, you know, and then certainly midstream, mid-game, when you lose a player like that, it can be really hard to recover. If you, you know, if you have a couple of weeks to regroup, maybe you regroup you know, but you game plan for it. But here you were, you were going in the game. You didn't expect to lose Cahill. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's how things like that can get out of hand. And certainly if Chicago's at the controls, uh, Chicago can make that happen to you. Now, Neil, we got a, a lot of good quality squads. I mean, nationwide, uh, not necessarily on the East coast anymore, but surprising Pacific has made a statement in the West. Uh, you know, they they basically almost merged, I think, in some ways, just like Portland did. Portland's making a statement out in Northwest. Then you got, you know, Central Cal is always, you know, pretty much there besides the surge not being in the picture this year. So we have, you know, about three teams in the West, including Dallas, who are uh, almost at that level of – so the playoffs are going to be very interesting starting in the next two weeks here or so. Uh, we're going to start to see, you know, who's – who's true tier one because once we get into the playoff mode and that's where the you know everything starts to play just like we did this past weekend with chicago and um and boston where you if you have a key player or one or two key players out that's the huge that's the difference between getting beat badly or getting beat you know or edged out in in the playoffs yeah i mean i think uh the west certainly is interesting uh when you look at the wfa I love Memorial Day because that's sort of what we're closing in on right now. I love Memorial Day in women's football because it's sort of like, you know, it's sort of like women's football's own version of the two-minute warning uh, in terms of the regular season. You take a breather, and most teams – well, not most teams, but a lot of teams take that week off because it's Memorial Day and they don't want to play that weekend and people are traveling. But, you know, it's sort of – and then you have maybe one, maybe two games left, a week's left in the regular season, which is one in the WFA, two in the IWFL. And then, uh, and then it's playoffs. So I, I love Memorial Day in women's football because it's really like our two-minute warning version. And when you look at the playoff uh, uh, str- uh, layout in the WFA, certainly in the West, um, you're looking at three undefeated teams. Uh, that's really where, where you're, where you're going to start. Uh, Pacific has had a very, very good year. Um, they, they have certainly gone toe-to-toe with Central Cal. 
But the three undefeated teams in Dallas, Central Cal, and Portland seem like they're getting a lot of the attention. Um, obviously, I think they're all sort of dominating their regions, so that's gonna, you know, that's going to that's going to draw anybody's attention when you're sort of dominant within your region. But the other thing is that there's not a lot of crossover between their three regions, so it's hard to compare what they're doing. Uh, uh, the playoff seeding right now has Dallas then Central Cal, then Portland, uh, amongst the undefeated teams. And I think that's probably right, given the historical strength of those regions. I think Portland has done a phenomenal job this season with the merger. I think they're one of the great stories in women's football this year, how they've handled it and how they've come up to be the top team in the Pacific Northwest. But the reality is, you know, teams in the Pacific Northwest have struggled uh, if they've had to travel outside of the region for the playoffs. Until Portland breaks that spell and really stands up for the Pacific Northwest, it's it's hard to rate them higher amongst the undefeateds. And, you know, Dallas, look, Dallas is the number one seed overall in the West, period. They're the number one. Uh, they they went to D.C. They beat the defending champs in D.C. And since then, they just mauled everybody they played. So there you go. That's 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 essentially the story of Dallas this season. They just killed everybody uh, uh, from that point forward, and so they're they're the favorites in the West. They're going to be at home. It'll be interesting to see who the West Coast champion is and if they can, you know, give Dallas a game. San Diego did last year for three quarters. Central Cal maybe. Uh, 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 if they're on San Diego's level, maybe they can try to do the same and, and you know, hang in there. But, look, but look Dallas is going to be the favorite. And, you know, I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how those three undefeateds match up. But the way that they're seated right now, I think, is, is probably right. Yeah, in the West, the only reason I'm mentioning it is because such a disparity there that none of these teams have faced each other in a schedule format. So you you right. really don't understand the 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 difference, you know, like D.C. and Boston, Chicago, and you know the East Coast swing gets to kind of like you know mash up with each yes. other. So you really can get yeah. a real gauge as to who's who's on who's on point, who's going to be a little bit you know more dangerous uh, once the playoffs get in. But in the West, it's pretty wide open. And besides right. Dallas, who has literally blown everybody away and continues to do that and owns that right. division, the the only other uh, I think the only other threat in terms of past history would have to be Central Cal at this point uh, because we're literally at this point on the conversation, we're underestimating Portland because we don't know you know, right. what they're all about at this point. They, they own the Northwest. Uh, they've done very well. Uh, they're on a six-game winning streak. They've only allowed 17 points in terms of, uh, you know, against opponents. So, and that was, you know, their their division alone – while Dallas has allowed only 39, but uh, allowed uh, those 39 came obviously against the Divas, so they would probably be in the same average in terms of allowing points less than probably a score or two. So it's going to be interesting right. to see how the West really evolves onto it. Now on the East, right. uh, Neil, based on Massey ratings, a lot tighter race there, and then you also have, you know, obviously I what I consider the best squads in the whole WFA. Not to take anything away from Dallas, like I told Odessa, but when you put in perspective, you know, a more of a dogfight in terms of how to get in and, and prepared, a lot of players have told me because of the schedule, because of the East Coast, how it's, you know, everybody's so close 
and everybody plays each other more often, uh, it's literally this week and next week, the three weeks prior to the playoffs is literally the playoffs because it's kind of like a tune-up, um, just like, you know, Chicago against Boston this weekend. Uh, if, you know, if Cahill was an out, I think we would have seen maybe uh, Chicago edge Boston or we would have seen a neck-and-neck neck game towards the end. But re- reality is, you know, this is this side of the uh, the country is where really, you know, everybody starts to play their top-notch game. And we're looking at what D.C. taking on Boston, right? And the week after, not this coming week, but the week after. Yeah, uh, the, uh, this coming week is Memorial Day, and a lot of teams have that off. Some teams uh, are playing, but a lot of teams uh, like taking Memorial Day weekend off. The weekend after is the final weekend of the regular season uh, in the WFA. Uh, it's second to last in the IWFL, but uh, it's the final regular season weekend in the WFA. Um, and uh, in the East, you have some very good matchups, I think. An optimist would say that the East teams, the contenders in the East, will be more battle-tested than a team like Dallas. But I think, you know, a, a Western Conference optimist would say that, frankly, they're 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 probably going to be uh, a little bit healthier and a little bit fresher, uh, given you know uh, their challenges in terms of, you know, uh, getting back to the championship game. I think Dallas is a heavy favorite in the uh, in the West. In the East, it's been a four-team race. It's been a four-team race pretty much all year. That was what we expected coming in. Boston, Chicago, D.C., Pittsburgh. Those were your four coming in. One of the smart things the WFA did with scheduling, and I think they did a lot of very foolish things with scheduling, but I think one of the smart things they did with scheduling is the final weekend they have D.C. playing Boston and they have Pittsburgh going to Chicago. And I think that's... You know, if you have those top four uh, coming into the season, that's what you expected, and then have those four play it out. I think that's a smart scheduling move, you know, just to have them pair up that way because it really does make the last weekend uh, pretty interesting and pretty intriguing. Obviously, Boston's, uh, you know, with the loss of Cahill, that throws their, you know, throws their uh, a monkey wrench in their plans in, in terms of of uh, being there, they were, they're already pretty much locked into the three seed. I think they're, they're pretty comfortable in that spot, given that they beat Pittsburgh earlier. Um, I think they're pretty solid there. Pittsburgh is, is pretty much locked into the four at this point. The, I mean, the thing with Pittsburgh is if you look at the, the other three contenders in the East, they've all had a much more difficult schedule. Um, Boston, I mean, Boston has played the other three contenders. They played Pittsburgh, Chicago, and D.C., uh, D.C. has played Boston, Chicago, and they played Dallas. And then uh, Chicago has played both D.C. and Boston. Uh, Pittsburgh has only played Boston yet amongst the contenders, and the rest of their schedule hasn't been uh, nearly as strong. Uh, the only contender they've played is Boston, and they lost to Boston. So I think Pittsburgh is locked into the four, and we'll see how they do when they go to Chicago. Um, but I think they'll they'll probably be underdogs in that one. And you know, it'll it'll be interesting to see how how Pittsburgh matches up there. But you know, um, those are those are your four. DC right now is slated as the one seed. Chicago the two. Um, it's pretty it's pretty close. It's close enough that it could potentially flip uh, if the Divas were to lose to Boston, or if the Divas even if the Divas won close to Boston, I think it's possible it could flip. Despite the Divas' uh, victory over Chicago earlier this season. Um, the Divas had a narrow victory over Boston, and Chicago, of course, blew them out. Now, you know the the Massey ratings and whatever else. It can't. It it doesn't know that Cahill got injured. It, it can't factor that right, stuff exactly. in. So it's impressed enough by by Chicago blowing out Boston 
that it's it's made the margin somewhat close, but I think obviously with the Divas finishing against Boston, um, you know, obviously if the Divas lose or, or whatever else, um, you know, they they could get jumped. But I think um, the Divas certainly have an opportunity to lock up the one seed, um, which would put Chicago too. You know, then you'd have you'd be set up for essentially a DC Boston rematch, or no, you'd have uh, DC Pittsburgh. Which is a game I hope we see. I mean, I just I think it's again not the criticism. Now why DC Pittsburgh? Now why DC Pittsburgh, Neil? Uh, I mean, I know the Pittsburgh. I mean, I know the passion has been you know a longtime favorite of the WFA, and I know that they are um, past champions, and so they they clearly have a long uh, story history. And I know the whole thing about getting to play, you know, and um, you know in Pittsburgh, you know, at the Steelers Stadium. So. Right. I think they have a new stadium now, so I don't want to mess up the name of the stadium. But, um, but with with all of that being said, you know, like with the way the new system is set up, and they've got the different leagues. I mean, they've got the different um, rating systems. How would the, how do you think the playoffs, you know, look back? I mean, I know there's still some back and forth, but uh, how many seeds are there in this playoff run? You know, uh, in, in terms of open spaces. Yeah. Okay. Be six so six, not eight. Okay. Six teams. Well, the okay. top two. Yeah. So the top two would get buys, and it's looking like DC and Chicago uh, are pro- are almost locked into those two buys. Um, it's still a battle for one two between those two, but they'd have buys, and it's. Uh, I think the first round of the playoffs, which is to say the quarterfinals in the East, are pretty much set stone. It's Boston is going to host Cleveland, and Pittsburgh's going to host Atlanta in a 4-5 matchup. Pittsburgh would be the 4, Atlanta the 5, and Boston the 3 would host Cleveland the 6. Um, and then uh, uh, should the higher seeds prevail, then that would set up uh, the Divas. Should the Divas hold off Chicago for the 1 seed, the Divas would then host Pittsburgh as the 4, and Chicago would host Boston as the 3. I uh, I would love to see DC Pittsburgh. Uh, I you know I've said this before again. I think it should have been a regular season game. If you have they Pittsburgh have, coming that, in, that should the, have been in the, if you have the Pittsburgh plate. coming in, yeah. If you have Pittsburgh coming in as the two-time defending IWFL champ, and D- DC is until they're you know until if and when they're knocked out of the this year's playoffs, they're defending WFA champ. You know that's the matchup I think we want to see, and you know it's it's that. Pittsburgh's the one contender in the East that D.C. didn't play for, you know, whatever reason that didn't get scheduled. So, you know, I think, you know, and again, you you didn't want to make the Divas schedule too tough in that they're playing Boston twice, Chicago, Dallas. I don't know if you want to add Pittsburgh on top of that, but Pittsburgh certainly had an open spot. So, I mean, I don't know. It's But regardless, it might might be able to play off to see it uh, happen, which would be great. Well, I was going to say, I think I'm actually okay with it because if they don't have the opportunity to meet in the regular season, if they meet up in the playoffs, then it's do or die. And then that that really then, I think, intensifies um, the matchup between them because, you know, this is for Keith. You're, you know, it's win or go home. And I actually kind of think mm-hmm. I like that. I mean, just yeah, it's, it's less predictable. There's no question. If they haven't met yet, it's it's going to be less predictable uh, in that sense. I you know, uh, I think you want to. I want to see that matchup happen this year. And if it happens in the playoffs, great. But that's sort of a matter of luck. Whereas you could schedule it in the regular season and guarantee it happens. 
if it happens in the playoffs, then great, because we'll get it. But that's sort of just through random chance we got it rather than actually planning it that way. But either way, um, I, I think it would be good to see. And, and again, Boston, you know, they're pretty well set in the three, but it's it would be, you know, uh, again, I think they're going to – we'll see how they respond to Los Cahill. They've got a ton of talent there. They're, you know, they're uh, a tough team. They're a smart team. They're a well-coached team. And they're not just going to fold. They'll, they're going to they're gonna fight this out. But, uh, you know, it will be interesting to see what tricks they have up their sleeve, both against D.C. in the regular season finale and then as they, as they make their playoff run. But uh, uh, that's kind of how the East is shaking out at this point in the WSA. Now, Neil, the, uh, the two, one debate that we have – no, go ahead – Oh well, my only question was, you know, think in terms thinking in terms of like um, football or even with basketball, because um, of how this is set up, you know, uh, East West. Which is stronger in the WFA? Is it the East or is it the West Coast that's stronger? Like right now, we, you know, with the exception of, of course, the Cavaliers. If we're talking NBA, with the exception of the Cavaliers we can definitely say that the West is stronger because they just have, you know, the better teams. You know, you've got OKC, you've got the Warriors, you've got the Clippers, you've got the Spurs. Um, can't say Lakers anymore, but once upon a time, you know. So clearly, <laughs> you. you know, <laughs> just saying, just saying, there's, there's, there's hope. We'll keep hope alive. But, uh, you know, but the point is, you know, we know that in the NBA right now, the West is really strong in football. I don't even know where to go because it used to be the NFC East and now we're just abysmal. But, um, you know, so again, looking at that, even with football, I honestly would probably say that the West, you know, tend, and uh, the West and the West coast teams tend to be, tend to be stronger right now. And, and in the AFC that I think the AFC is stronger right now than the NFC. So in WFA, who's stronger? Um, I don't think there's any question that top to bottom, the East is stronger, but I say that with a caveat because Mm. quite possibly the best team, and I think right now the number one ranked team, and deservedly so, is Dallas. So it it, it would almost be like in your comparison if, you know, you had the NBA, it had the East and West the way it is, but the Warriors were in the East. So Mm. you have – top to bottom, the East is the strongest in terms of they bring four really strong teams. But Fine. in the West, Dallas is, I think, right now the number one ranked team, and, and for good reason. I mean, I think they would they would be favored over whoever they play in the national title game uh, from the East just because they're that strong, and they're, they're dominating a weak conference, but they're – a strong team, and and not only a strong team, maybe the strongest in the whole sport. So that's kind of how it shakes out. It's uh, the East is stronger top to bottom, but the West could very possibly have uh, the best, the very best team. So yeah. you know, it's uh, it's 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 that's that's sort of the dynamic going on. Okay, interesting. And we won't, and Kishi, we don't get to see like we were talking earlier. We don't get to see right. that reality until the playoffs on the west side because of the, you know, the, the span that right. it just it's so spanned out. I mean, northeast to California to Texas, and, and the, because of logistics in terms of money and travel and everything else, you really can't schedule, you know, uh, Portland taking on Dallas during, during the season because of all that, you know, logistics money. Versus on the east coast, you can schedule uh, a couple more teams close by because – 
Chicago, Boston, and D.C. are more in proximity. So that's where the, you know, the intangible is in terms of the league, in terms of logistics with the money, because we can't see a okay. real true matchup between, you know, Dallas playing Central Cal maybe twice a year and maybe playing Portland once or twice uh, or playing the Majestics once or twice. So we have that, you know, okay. the disparity there where we can't see it. Uh, but, you know, reality is this, uh, Odessa, uh, Odessa has claimed, and until otherwise, uh, they probably have the most talented team in women's football uh, because they, they, they do. <laughs> and so until, okay. you know, they were proven wrong last year in the final and they were edged in the right. final. And so, you know, we've talked to her. Uh, the goal right. is one goal, and that's for them to ca- uh, get Redemption. the hardware. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, and that's their goal. So, um, so you know what, uh, Neil, before I let you go here, let's talk. This, this is a big debate. Uh, I, I put it up for debate uh, last week with somebody off, off, uh, you know, off social media and everything. Uh, Utah claims to be an amazing team. Uh, Pittsburgh beat them last year. They steamrolled through everything in the in the IWFL, um, and I'm not going to sit here and say that they're you know the IWFL is lesser lesser quality or anything like that. But until we see a, a Falcons elite matchup, do you feel that that, that the argument's going to still stand? Oh well, it will definitely stand until you see the matchup. I mean, until you actually see the matchup, yeah, it'll stand. But I think. I mean, the the Falcons are, you know, the Falcons are in a very, very interesting position because, you know, it's, it's, you know, what, they're, they're the favorites in the IWFL, but is there anything that they can prove in the IWFL by dominating that league this year that will, you know, pull people to, to, to that side? I, you know, it's, 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 it's a tough deal because, you know, they, they did lose to Pittsburgh. You know, Pittsburgh right now, um, I mean, you just got to be honest, Pittsburgh right now is the four seed in the East. And, you know, that's that's a team that beat Utah. And, yes, it was a close game. Even if you say Utah is as good, maybe a little better than Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is the four seed in the East right now and in the WFA. Now, again, in the West, you're talking about uh, a conference that I don't think is a strong top to bottom. But you want to put the Falcons in comparison with the Elite, that's okay. I mean, that's you know, that's uh, that's that's uh, that's that's a challenge for Utah. But you know, again, who knows how the game would go? I, you mentioned this with the with the WFA. One of the things is Dallas's advantage is home field. I mean, they have home field right now, and you talk about how they haven't played Portland or Central Cal because of distance. Well, in the playoffs, that's huge for Dallas to be at home and have. You know, Central Cal and Portland have to come all the way from the West Coast to come play them in Dallas. You know, you put a hypothetical Falcons-Dallas game in Salt Lake City, and, you know, you're talking something uh, different potentially. But, you know, it's it's the Falcons are, are, are a great team, no question. And they are the favorites in, in, in their league. I think they should be. Um, I think the IWFL playoffs are going to be uh, pretty intriguing as well. But um, you know, particularly if we get to see a Minnesota Vixen New York Sharks matchup, that's you know, I mean, that, that would be just the ultimate, I think. Uh, and we could see that in the Eastern so, Conference Final potentially. So you have, but uh, this year it's this year it's, it's more this year alone. Last year you were you were putting the IWFL basically on a two two team matchup, right? You had Pittsburgh, Utah to yeah. meet in the final, and it really was that from the beginning to the end. This yep. year you have the Sharks kind of evolving 
you got Minnesota that has elevated their game and has, you know, put together a better, a better squad. Um, you also have the usual, you know, Madison in the mix there. Um, so we didn't hear anything, you know, uh, besides Austin, you know, the uh, Yellow Jackets early on was doing really well. Carolina's always done pretty well. Um, so in the IWFL, I would say I agree with you. I think it's uh, somebody to beat Utah this year. Is that that would be basically a statement, right? Well, I mean, Utah is is, is the overwhelming favorite. And and look, the IWFL. If you go to the playoffs in the IWFL, that you'll see uh, 2016 playoff information coming soon. So nobody actually knows how the IWFL playoffs are really going to be set up, and they probably won't know until uh, uh, Kesey Disney actually tells people, and, and she may not tell people until after the regular season's over. But the, pr- the presumption is there's going to be uh, a four-team, you know, the top team in each division, uh, you know, will, will make a four-team playoff unless there's ties. And there's, go- there's probably going to be ties because the reality is, is the Utah Falcons and the Carson Bobcats are in the same division out west. And they don't play each other, and they're probably both going to go eight zero, or at least you'd favor them to. So, so right there, you've got to add a fifteen year playoff bracket. But um, out west, I think Utah has to be considered the favorite. They don't play any of the teams down in Texas. Uh, it's sort of similar to the WFA West uh, West Coast in the sense of, you know, the Texas teams don't really play the West Coast teams, and vice versa. So that could be interesting, but. You know, I think, again, Utah has to be considered the favorite until otherwise shown. Um, the East in the WFA is really interesting because the Minnesota Vixen, for my money, are probably the Cinderella story of the women's football season. Just, I think, they're the original women's football team. They're the oldest, longest-running team in the sport. They have not, you know, uh, despite having been around since 1999, this is their, I think, 18th season of operation. And yet, you know, I think people think they've been really successful. They actually, you know, it's been a long time since the Vixen made the playoffs. I think it's been a 10-year playoff drought or something like that. They've made the Founders Bowl and things like that. But, that, you know, I'm talking about really making the playoffs. Well, they're undefeated, and they're right in line to make the playoffs. And uh, what, what I love about it is they're, they can win that division – then they would play in the Eastern Conference Championship game either the New York Sharks or the Carolina Phoenix. The Sharks and Phoenix play. They're both undefeated. They play June 4th, and that looks like a winner-take-all playoff matchup. The winner of that game is probably going to play the Vixen in the Eastern Conference Championship game. And I love Carolina. I love the Carolina Phoenix. I am rooting for the New York Sharks, and I say that, you know, I generally don't root for teams. But the thing is, the New York Sharks are the second longest-running team in women's football. They have also been around since 1999. These are the only two teams. The Minnesota Vixen and the New York Sharks are the only two teams that have both been around since 1999. And the Sharks and Vixen have played once. In the Sharks' very first game, the Sharks and Vixen played on December 11, 1999. And they have not played since. And the Sharks, the Sharks beat the Vixen 12-6. They haven't played since. And the potential that these two teams could play for the IWFL title game 17 years later, <laughs> to me, would just be one of the great stories in women's football this whole season. And, of course, I, you know, I don't think the IWFL would promote it well because they're not a well-run league. But 
what a fantastic matchup that would be if it came to fruition. If the Carolina Phoenix win, all due credit to them, they actually host the Phoenix Sharks game. And, uh, you know, they're a great team. They could very easily win. But, you know, what a story it would be to see the Vixen and Sharks actually match up for the Eastern Conference Championship game in the IWFL. That would, that would, be, a, that. A, that would be a good game. <laughs> it would it would be it would have a lot of historical undertones that I think would be a lot of fun for the sport if it was promoted properly, and uh, you know I love that kind of history to see the two oldest, longest running teams in women's football, the two teams that have been around since 1999, playing for an wow. Eastern Conference Championship game. That would just be to me that would that's, be amazing. That's why that's why I love women's football right there. But you know what else? That, you know, again, um, because I'm still new to. Um, to covering the sport, but just from a historical person, you know, it's one of the things I think that um, we've lamented about on, on this show is watching some of the prestigious um, historic teams of the past just kind of fall to the wayside, you know, and, and, and the language and obscurity. So for it, based on everything you all have said tonight, for them to have the opportunity for a uh, resurgence is just amazing. And I think that it would also be really the sport as well because it will maybe reinvigorate some of these newer teams as well as the older um, IWFA teams to kind of maybe not languish doing the same thing over and over and maybe give them that little swift kick that they need to recharge their own batteries, so to speak. Well, I mean, it would it, it, it to me it's a great way to, you know, to honor, you know, the history of the game. And, and the thing with the New York Sharks is, it's not like they have, you know, they've had more success than the Vixen, but the New York Sharks haven't been to a national title game uh, themselves since uh, 2000 and, and 2004. You know, they haven't been to a national title game since 2004, so, you know, they would also be in a position where they're trying to, you know, make their first championship game in 12 years. And, and the Vixen, you know, are having the Cinderella season, and, you know, to have those two teams, playing it out for the Eastern Conference title. It would be an amazing, an amazing thing. And it, it could all be for naught because, you know, the Carolina Phoenix could very easily win that game and uh, would not be surprised. Those are always actually very close competitive games, and they're both undefeated teams. Uh, and all, all, all due respect and love to the Carolina Phoenix. I'm just saying that from a historical standpoint, that would be pretty cool to see. And, uh, you know, I, we'll, I think we'll know June 4th uh, how that plays out. But, uh uh, you know, that's that's the kind of recognition of the history that this sport has a history now. And, uh, you know, I think recognizing that, mentioning that, promoting that uh, is a big part of, of, of celebrating what women's football is and has been and, and, and will be. Now, Neil, on the West, we have the Falcons that will probably take on Carson. Carson is a kind of a merged team as well, right? So we have sort of like the Portland mix there. They've done very well this year. So we have undefeated teams. They both will not meet until the Western, you know, until the playoffs at this point. So um, it would be a shocker if somehow they, uh, you know, they uh, they beat up uh, Utah, would it? Well, yeah, Carson, I mean, technically they would just take the division champ of that division normally and move them right into the West Western Conference Final. The problem that they have is that the geniuses in the IWFL decided to schedule two teams in the same division and not have them play each other. So Carson and Utah don't play each other. They're both likely to run the table. 
And that means that rather than having the winner of the division go straight into the conference title game, you have to have them play it because you can't leave an undefeated team out. So they would have to play uh, Carson. Carson's a great team. Uh, Bobby Jose, uh, 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 one, of the, one of the great uh, assets in addition to women's football, he, he helped engineer the turnaround of the Pack Warriors last season. Um, and uh, helped them come out of hiatus and really become one of the top, one of a strong team in women's football. Uh, he turned heads with that. He moved to the IWFL, founded his own team, uh, Bobby Hosea, the Bobcats. There you go. <laughs> they took over, sort of, kind of took over the territory of the California Quake, who uh, folded this past offseason after a 15-year uh, storied run. Um, I think on the field. I mean, it's hard to tell because they haven't, you know, I mean, until they haven't played, they're both undefeated. I think when you look at common opponents and margin of victory, I think Carson is struggling a little more to remain undefeated than Utah has. And and Utah would host that game. I think home field is determined by fewest points allowed or something ridiculous. But so uh, nobody knows because they don't actually tell anybody. But I think – I think Utah would host. I assume Utah would host, but I just think Utah's a better team. I, I just think uh, Carson. When you look at common opponents, Carson has had to work to get there, whereas Utah has just been like, "All right, let's go undefeated." <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I would I would favor Utah in that, but it would be a good game. It'd probably be the best game that Utah's played all year in terms of opponents. So it's worth seeing from that standpoint alone. Now you got the the other division, which is uh, Austin has played it pretty strong this year. That you got Nebraska, the Stampede, who moved from the WFA to IWFL. You got the Woodland Wildcats or the Houston Wildcats, depending on what name they want to go by. So the other division is really you got a little tight, a little tight race in that division, which is the Central Conference. So we'll, we'll probably end up seeing. Uh, one or the other, but Austin seems to be the team that will probably stand out from based on the results this year. Well, that's a, it's an interesting division. It's topsy turvy, and I've been trying to get an understanding of how the IWFL is going to rule things. Again, you know, on their on their thing it says playoff system coming, you know, playoff information coming. So nobody knows what the actual rules are in the IWFL. My understanding, and this is only my understanding based on having talked to people that know people in the section, is that Austin and Houston are actually scheduled to play again um, in a makeup game. There was a game that was rained out earlier this season. Uh, Austin has beaten Houston uh, earlier in the year. So Houston's going to have an opportunity, and it was a close game. I think it was a 10-point game. Houston's going to have an opportunity to get back. Um, if Houston were to beat Austin, if Austin wins, Austin's the champ of the division and in the playoffs. If Houston were to beat Austin, hypothetically, the two teams would have split, and that would force a play-in game similar to the Utah-Carson game. So essentially Houston and Austin would play in a play-in game. So if, if – if Houston can beat Austin in a regular season makeup game, then Houston and Austin would then play in a conference semi to get to win the division and get to well not win the division but get to the uh, conference championship game. That's my understanding. As far as the Nebraska Stampede, frankly, I think they're just going to get screwed in this situation. I think the IWFL is going to ignore them and pretend that they haven't gone four and one. I don't see any way that they factor into this which probably isn't fair because if you look at their one loss, their only loss is to a Western, an Eastern Conference team. They lost to the Madison Blaze 
they're actually undefeated against the Western Conference, but I think they'll probably get ignored because, I don't know, the IWF will probably just decide to ignore them. Uh, Nebraska, they're actually an interesting story. The fact that they're four and one's pretty amazing because right up until February, it didn't look like they were even going to field a team. They sort of decided at the last minute to steal the team, uh, and it wound up being in, in the West because of some tensions with other league teams. Uh, so they wind up in the Western Conference, and lo and behold, they're four and one, <laughs> despite uh, uh, you know uh, kind of unexpectedly. But uh, I think that race is coming down to Houston and Austin, and uh, it'll be that makeup rainout game that's going to determine who wins that division. And uh, again. You know, uh, it's hard to say because they don't really play teams from the West, but I think Utah would be favored in a Western Conference Championship game under any circumstance. But, you know, it, it, it certainly would be fun to see. And, and hats off to Austin because the Yellow Jackets have really come into a territory that's been dominated for a long time by the Austin Outlaws. And they've put together a really, really good team uh, with Steeler throwback looking uniforms. And they've. Uh, and, and I, I, you know, I, I think that's uh, that's a pretty pretty fine organization there with the Austin Yellow Jackets. But uh, uh, I think that's how that division is going to shake out in the NFL. All right, Neil. So that's awesome. Great, uh, great job breaking it down for us, uh, making us kind of get a clarity in terms of what we're going to be looking at for the next two weeks. Um, so we appreciate you coming on and, and making that clarity for us. Massey, I think using the Massey ratings is probably the way to go. Uh, I have to applaud you know, um, Lisa and everybody else at the WFA this year, I think this is, this is what the fans want. This is what really what, if the WFA wants to stand out in terms of a, you know, a elite league with a sponsorship future, I think this, this is the way to go. Uh, this is the proper format. It's more similar to the NFL in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, hats off to everybody that made, you know, the Dallas Diva, uh, Dallas and Divas matchup early season. Hats off to everybody that's, you know, the schedule this year has been amazing to see and to watch each game, Chicago, Boston, Boston, Pittsburgh. I mean, you name it. Um, I, I don't want to take anything away from the IWFL, but, uh, you know, as a fan and as an outsider, as somebody that is watching the game for the last four and a half years, um, if the WFA wants to be the elite league for somebody to take on in terms of a viewership or a sponsorship of some sort, um, this year I think, is the way to go. So if they keep this up for next year and the year and the year after, um, you're going to start to see some real positive exposure and maybe coverage more so than anything. And attendance may be growing at the same time because, like I said, the East Coast is a dogfight and everybody wants to see competitive football. And I, and that's a credit, I think, to the uh, WFA leadership for you know thinking that way. And obviously for the franchise owners as well, like. You know, each individual franchise owner, D.C., Boston, and Chicago, and Pittsburgh, thinking that this is what this is what needs to happen in order for people to be aware of the sport. So, uh, so it, it's been a great year so far in this year in 2016. Oh, I, I I totally agree. I think their playoff system is set up well. I mean, I think I think the IW, the WFA has been the top league in women's football for the past six years, and I think it's high time that people around the sport sort of wake up to that fact. Uh, that doesn't mean there aren't good teams in the IWFL, and I think probably w- one of the biggest things, one of the only things really holding the WFA back at this point is, you know, the WFA seems to have a certain allegiance to uh, teams that are already in the league with respect to territorial restrictions, and they tend to look at, uh, you know, some of their T1 
tier three teams and, you know, be a little hesitant toward embracing some of, you know, the top teams in other leagues because, well, you know, we already have a team that's within this geographic thing. And, you know, we, you know, every team gets to defend within X number of miles of their territory. And I just think, you know, if you're the WFA and you truly want to be the top league in women's football, you need to, you know, you need to be willing to accept high-level teams that want to play in your league. You know, you can't, you know, look around and say, oh, well, we already have a team in that region that has, you know, 15, 20 players. You have to, you know, particularly with the tier system now, you know, if a team's not playing in your tier, then there shouldn't be any problems. I mean, the reality is, is if you're a tier three team and I want to accept a tier one team in that region, you accept the tier one team. I mean, I mean, that's just common sense. But, uh, you know, that's one of the things the WFA is going to have to do to continue its growth. But they've certainly had a great year this year in terms of helping to establish, you know, what has been the hierarchy in women's football for the past six years, that they're the, they're the top league, that, you know, with all due respect to a couple of the teams in some other leagues, you know, top to bottom, uh, you know, the WFA has – the best teams, the most interesting matchups, and uh, really the games that fans want to see. And then it's just a matter of covering them better. And I think, you know, I think the league has has started to do that. You've been able to watch, you're able to watch DC Chicago on, you know, YouTube on the Chicago Force YouTube channel. Man, if they can expand those types of opportunities, I mean, the sky's the limit. Because if you put that product in front of a, a viewing public. I can't see how people wouldn't be compelled to watch that. I mean, you know, and, and more and more of that, I think, uh, uh, is only going to help grow the sport. Now, Neil, you know, we, we already talked about in the past, you know, if you take, for example, the uh, LFL format for delayed broadcasting, uh, you would have to just handpick, you know, out of the, what, the 10-week season, you'd have to handpick uh, four games. Like this season, you had marquee games. Uh, you know, Chicago, D.C., you got Dallas, D.C., you know, you have Boston, Pittsburgh, you know what I mean? So if you took that aspect of it, it's really about talking to somebody uh, in terms of a logistic aspect about how to get to that event and how to put a a nice delayed broadcast, more of a delayed broadcast type mentality with it, um, you know, to present it in that light as well, you know, in a high-definition format and stuff, things like that. But you know, going going in the right direction is what we're you know what we're getting at at this point. We are going in the right direction. Uh, Facebook Live, I've talked to a, a couple people, if, you know, individually in terms of franchises. If you're not doing it, I mean, I have I have to give you credit. You know, the post the pregame and the postgame on Facebook Live, that you know, you might not think it's a big deal, but it is a big deal. It's it's a prep for the game. Even if even if we're watching it, uh, you know, on a live stream, or if it's not on live stream, even if you're getting ready to just, you know, take the play-by-play on Facebook or Twitter, it's still great to have at least, a, you know, a 10-minute pre and a 10-minute post. You know what I mean? It gets to You get to know the faces and get to know the matchups before the game, even though you're not going to watch it live. Uh, in some instances with certain games, you still get the post game where you see the faces and the reaction from the game. So even that is, is beneficial. Yeah, I think it's been a great addition. I've actually done uh, the Facebook Live video updates for uh, for the Divas on their Facebook page, and and it's it's the first year of it. I think it's it's the first women's football season that that feature has been available on Facebook, and so it's you know it's been a work in progress. I you know I I can tell you from my standpoint, you know first of all live broadcasts are tough. 
I mean, I didn't realize that I stumbled, stumbled and stuttered and said um and uh and uh so much until you watch yourself uh, on a live broadcast and you rewatch that and you kind of cringe a little. But you know, it's 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 a work in progress. You know. Uh, in terms of making sure the lighting is right, you know, the light right behind you, or, you know, you put the phone at the right angle and things like that. Or that but snow is not blowing all over the place. <laughs> exactly. The wind. Oh, my word. The wind can God, just not God, that game. Yes, uh, that was, was so that, crazy. But that was did, you see, did you see I yourself mean, was, on our periscope? Did you see yourself <laughs> yeah. on our periscope? Neil, you yeah. did a great job. No, was, seriously, was, you did a great job. And I could hear you, and it was clear. And, you know, because uh, I was scared, you know, being a man – Obviously, you're going to have a lot more bass and baritone than me. So I was like struggling not to scream at you just so that I could be heard, you know, over the wind and hearing my voice to go float away. Wait, there's my question all the way down the other end of the field. Um, no, you, you did a great job. And I just wanted to let you know that. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. It's, uh, yeah, like I say, it's the first year for these types of things Facebook Live, Periscope. And uh, to me, what's exciting is there's so much more that can be done. I think, you know, pre-game and post-game interviews with players and coaches. I mean, just so that people get the upfront, hey, you know, we can sit around and talk about Allison Cahill all day long, but wouldn't you like to see Allison Cahill, hear Allison Cahill, see what her face looks like? It humanizes women's football in a way that I think is, is, is a very positive thing for people who – you know, don't understand the game, don't understand the competitiveness. You can see the fire in people's eyes. You can see the personalities. It's just it's an all-around great thing. And, uh, again, it's the first year and the first year of anything. There's going to be growing pains. There's going to be things that you can do better. But I, I really feel like uh, going forward it's, it, it could be a huge tool for women's football to put it out and present it to fans in a way uh, that maybe hasn't been done before in the past. Yeah, and it's it's it, it's – positive stuff that's happening and i think that's that's a key and uh you know like i said hats off to everybody all the franchises in the wfa this year specifically the you know the up tier teams but also the w uh, wfa two tier teams that are up and coming you know to uh, tampa bay and everybody down south atlanta um you know hats off to the uh to the uh, uh black widows as well in tier three for doing it for making a great season out of it so there's a lot of positives this season in 2016 in, in all the in all the tiers, not just the top tier. Um, so Neil, oh, yeah, I think, we will look I, forward I think to honestly. Let me let me just say mm-hmm. I honestly believe that the that the playoffs in the second tier in WFA tier two and WFA tier three are going to be just as interesting and competitive as it is in the top tier. I mean, you know, when you look at some of the teams, whether it's Philly, whether it's Indy, whether it's Tampa Bay, you know, St. Louis out there, and then out on the west coast of Sin City and Mile High. These are. It's going to be a competitive playoffs in tier two, and I think people are going to people are going to have fun with it because those teams they're not just playing for the right to get massacred by a DC or a Boston or a Dallas or whatever. They're playing playoffs against teams of their own size and their own development, and I think those playoffs are going to be really interesting and compelling as well. And frankly, I can't wait to see it. I think this could be one of the most exciting uh, playoff seasons that we've had in some time. Yeah, and, and that's why I'm saying it's pretty interesting on all three levels because you have uh-huh. the, the teams equally matched going forward into the next three weeks into the playoffs. So, Neil, we'll touch base hopefully in another, uh, I'd say, week of the week after the playoffs if you got time. That way we can dissect week uh, the first week of the playoffs and kind of, you know, get ourselves kind of hyped up and ready to go into w- what the next round's going to be and 
and each round after that. So um, if you have the time for that, we'd really appreciate it. And that way we kind oh, of absolutely. You know, go if, into if you got time, the I national time. championship. Awesome. <laughs> if you got time, I So, got Neil, time, thank I you very much. <laughs> Not a problem. Thank you. thank you for making the time. I really appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to it. And before you go, let everybody know where they can get your book again and obviously uh, touch base with you on social media. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, uh, NeilRosendahl.com. Uh, that's my website. Uh, if you look under books, you'll be able to find my latest book, which is the Women's Football Encyclopedia, great uh, statistical database on uh, the history of women's football, all teams, all leagues, all years, all the way back to the beginning. Um, and uh, uh, you can also reach me on social media, the Women's Gridiron Football Group. Search for that on Facebook. Join it. You'll get the latest uh, Massey ratings. You'll get the latest uh, playoff updates from various leagues. And uh, it's a great little community we got going there as well. So, uh, yep. And, and like I say, I appreciate you guys having me on. And uh, anytime you have time, I got time. And uh, 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 thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Neil. All right, Neil. Take thank care. you. Safe travels. We'll be in touch in a in, in a couple of days then, so we can get that going. All right. Uh, have a great you guys, night. Sounds good. You too. Good night. Bye. So that was uh, Neil uh, Rosenthal. So um, you know what? He's, he's so informative. He, he knows the history. He's basically, a historian of the sport. And who better oh to have a, you know break down the WFA yeah, playoffs for this year than him? So yeah. yeah so he, I mean, it's, he, I, I couldn't get I couldn't get anybody better than him. So uh, hats off to him. He's always very informative. He knows what he's talking about, and he, he kind of breaks it down. Um, so you know, it's just it's just unfortunate, and um, you know. Allison, if you're listening to us uh, on the radio, we, we wish you a strong recovery. Hang in there. A lot of painkillers. <laughs> Clavicles are no joke. Um, no. So, you know, take Maybe a, go back into the rack. Maybe this would be the perfect time to email Tony Romo and say, quarterback to quarterback, you know, what are you doing to help heal? Other than having a fabulous uh, salary and, and great top-notch doctors at your uh, disposal. So true. So true. Um Troy, I know. I I hope you're not falling asleep over here. No, man, I'm wide awake. I'm listening to all the, wide the, the history, and uh, I'm I'm listening to all the history and all you know the the, the standings and and uh, you know the differences between the IWFL and, and the WFA. And uh, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm just taking notes over here from Neil, man. That guy's a don't feel bad. I did the same. You know, I I, I did the same thing, Troy, because. Because it is, it's a lot of information to take in, especially when you are new to women's football, because it's almost like a whole secret society that nobody knew existed in like a parallel universe, you know, and it's it's almost like trying to catch up on the Marvel's characters, you know, who's who and what's what, and then you have all the different crossovers and, you know, and how to, <laughs> you know, and, and it, it really and truly, yeah. it's, there's, it, it's just so much overlap in the history, you know, and how to, how everybody's connected and, you know, then having teams go back and forth between the two. I don't even know, are they, I mean, are they leagues? Because they're not really divisions. So, yeah, between the two leagues and, you know, it, it is a lot. And, and the one, like, for example, I still haven't figured out how the Sugar and Spice League is is connected to the IWFL or the WFA, and to my, and if I'm even understanding that right, they're their own separate league as well, correct, Oscar? That's correct. That's correct. So, so that's three different leagues we're trying to keep up with, and keep up with the games and the teams and the and the history and and the heritage, and it's a lot. 
But I, I definitely go back to our guest last week who said that if this is going to be functional, that they all, everybody's got to come to the table and just combine because, yep. you know, this injury is proof these ladies need and deserve more because God knows I'm not going to get fired from my nine to five because I've got to be out and lose money and income, you know, for this. It's one thing, you know, and the, and because we're using the word professional, not in a mural. A lot of, so a lot of the players, I will tell you, a lot of the players, they have to have supplemental because if the, if you don't right. have supplemental, you're, you're screwed. <laughs> you're literally yeah. screwed. So on top of, you know, on top of, your regular insurance covering, you still got to have some supplemental to have a paycheck coming in to just sustain your time off. And if you exhaust your time off, you're still going to have to have some supplemental. Um, so, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of them are smart about it. Others are not. It's all up to the individual player. But I'm pretty sure she's played this game for so long that she knows that that was, you know, like Neil says, that is the worst case scenario. And uh, at some point, you know, uh, Troy knows, I know, uh, you know, it can happen in practice or it could happen on the first play of every game, yeah. you know, stuff just the way it is. You know, that's just the way the sport goes sometimes. No, I mean, you're right. And, and it, you know, it, it definitely, you know, it's true. Um, but I just, the same, you know, I think I said, it's not that it's not the injury, it's the lack of compensation. Sure, it's sure, the lack of, of security. It's, 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 the, it's the impact of the injury, you know, yeah. whereas Tony Romo can get injured, it doesn't affect his bottom line. That's the no, thing. no. Yeah, that, that is. That I mean, and, and until we get to a sponsorship state, until we get to, and that's why I'm saying earlier, that's why I have to applaud, you know, the WFA leadership for stepping up this year. Oh, yeah. For giving us some quality games that we can actually dive into. And then hopefully, you know, the East Coast is a dogfight. And that's what we want to see. I mean, Troy's related to it before. We want to see competitive football. And if we can showcase competitive football on that end of the spectrum, you'll eventually get somebody that wants to take it on. You know, maybe a CBS sports net or maybe, you know, some sort of regional cable network will eventually think that this is about as valuable as, you know, college softball or as as valuable as, you know, anything, any other college sport that's out there. So uh, hopefully that's the case. But the East Coast, I think, will make the statement for this league if it wants to get, to a level of awareness and, and more viewership, uh, it's going to be on the East Coast. Not Like I said, not taken away from the West Coast teams, but if you want to put a, put a brand stamp, you're going to have to do it with D.C., Pittsburgh, Chicago, Boston, you know, uh, that kind of setup. You're going to have to do it that way because that's, that's competitive football and, and people want to see competitive football. Um, it shocked me that the score was so out of line, you know what I mean, because it was 14-6 for the first two quarters. And that was the reason I brought him on because I've been trying to get information as to what's going on and what happened. Uh, so now we know what happened. Uh, you know, that's why they scored 52 points in the second half and no, res- no uh, resistance <laughs> because, you know, the, it's like taking Peyton Manning out of the game or Tom Brady out of the game. And so, you know, Boston had no real offensive threat. And so Chicago just literally took advantage of it. So it's like uh, Russell Wilson versus nobody. And that's what uh, Rachel Gore brings to the table for Chicago Force, the Russell Wilson f- uh, effect. Um, so uh, Troy, let's go. Uh, let's go into the recap because we're going to be. Uh, we only got a half hour, so let's go into some of the recaps and get that out of the way, and then we'll talk. Uh, 
last minute. Uh, we got to do LFL at this point. So, did you guys get to watch LFL at all this weekend? Yeah, I watched. That. I watched the Chicago, um, the Chicago Bliss, the Seattle Miss game. Uh, I, man, I was I was definitely impressed with both squads. And uh, you know, we'll get down into the breakdown uh, in a few, man. So I took I took some notes. And a couple of things that I wanted to get off my chest about that game, but we'll wait. You know, we'll wait till after the reads to get to that, man. Okay, well, well gentlemen, this yeah. is the time of Go night ahead. where I have to turn into a pumpkin, as Oscar likes to call me. Um, but I will be back next week, and um, as soon as the school year is over, because we're in the middle of end of the year projects right now, um, I will definitely have more time to contribute. To the uh, rundown. So, guys, have a great no evening, and I will catch you on the flip side next week. All right. Take care, okay? Enjoy your week. Thanks. Night, everybody. Oh, and happy holidays, and have a safe Memorial uh, Day weekend. Thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Bye bye. So, Troy, let's go into the LFL uh, recap game. So, so far, let's recap the season. So, week one, Seattle took on the uh, the expansion acoustic, and they they just basically you know laid a, a smackdown on them, showed them what you know what this league's all about. Forty four to eight, we moved to week two, which was a battle of uh, you know Omaha Heart, who had horrible two years in terms of um, you know coaching and everything else. They do their opener and they get to beat up on the expansion New England Liberty, twenty six to six, and then you go to week three. And you had the marquee matchup so far of the year, which is Los Angeles Temptation taking on the Seattle Miss. The champs take on the three-time former champs. And there was a 20-12 to 12 win there for Seattle. There was a point there where uh, Los Angeles gave up points, and that's why the score is reflective of the 20-12. to 12, But it was closer than that uh, for a couple quarters. And then week four, you have New England Liberty taking on a, the Austin Acoustic, a battle of expansion clubs. And then uh, the Austin Acoustic puts up 41 points to 21 against the Liberty. They overpowered uh, New England. And so uh, Tisha Winfrey and Michelle Marshall came through with, for them at Cedar Park, which is their debut. And then you go to week five, Dallas versus Los Angeles, which was a nail-biter, 33-32. Uh, a couple mistakes by Dallas that ends up being here. And then Los Angeles switches their quarterback. They start off with Jane Caldwell to come in and take care of, you know, the, the situation. And then uh, Coach Tui, a little frustrated from the game in, I think, in Seattle and kind of just changed over in the second half. And uh, Kiana Patterson comes into play and he puts up on a show and keeps them competitive. And Dallas, at the same token, uh, Courtney White, you got uh, Michelle Angel, uh, first game out. Uh, Michelle was a former Temptation quarterback last year. She puts herself in, you know, in a position where she's facing her old club, and all of a sudden we got a 33-32 win. They edge Dallas. Dallas is a very good squad offensively. They've played really well from the first uh, viewing ship. And then so now we go to the current uh, week six as we're talking right now. Week six, marquee matchup, uh, rematch of the 2015 uh, LFL uh, Legends Cup. Seattle taking on Chicago. Chicago comes in with uh, Jacinda Barkley, which originally they were supposed to have uh, a different quarterback. They it just, you know, since Heather Fur retired, 
they didn't understand who they were going to have. So they, they bring in uh, Jacinda Barkley, former LFL uh, Australia, uh, New, New South Wales surge uh, quarterback, and she played very good for almost about three quarters. And then uh, Seattle in the last quarter decides to take it away. So let's, let's go there. Um, what did you think of Chicago? And uh, because we know what Seattle's all about, what did you think of Chicago and the quarterback? Well, uh, you know, uh, watching J- uh, Jacinda Barclay play um, initially in the, in the first half, you know, I, I was definitely impressed with her. She, she had – you saw some athleticism out there. You kind of saw someone who was still trying to get their bearings as far as, um, you know, how to operate the offense and, and things of that nature. She didn't look entirely comfortable, but she looked like she let her athleticism take over when she didn't feel comfortable. And that, you like to see that out of your quarterback, especially if you have a mobile one. Um, so so watching her play, and, and, you know, during, you know, in the off season, they, they actually went through two quarterbacks, and, you know, neither one of them were in shape. Neither one of them were ready. They were actually lucky to get Jacinta Barclay. So uh, Chicago should be, you know, happy with that. But watching watching them play, and, you know, Chicago, you know, except for, you know, a few positions there, they didn't look like that veteran team where you saw with Seattle, they did look like that veteran team. They looked like, you know, the more scrappier team. And even when Chicago was up by, by two touchdowns, they still looked like the better squad. Uh, because they made the least amount of mistakes. If if Chicago can clean up those mistakes, they have an excellent, they have a talented squad. You know, with, uh, Barclay is going to get better. Uh, then you also have the Ferrari, Chris Dale Harris, uh, running back, who I thought should have gotten the ball way more. So you have to question some of the play calling from the Chicago staff. I, you know, they didn't even get the ball in her hands. But watching that game, it was just Chicago had way too many mistakes to overcome that, I mean, you know, you had turnovers, um, bad snaps throughout the first half. They got to get that stuff cleaned up. Without those, I think Chicago actually makes the game at least closer than they possibly could have won. Now, you know what? What I the good thing that was uh, from this whole, you know, from this game was they started out twenty-two and six and took the lead in the second right. quarter. So they had a convincing tempo they came in with confidence and then all of a sudden like you said it just became this thing where they Seattle after the half they just kind of took over but they didn't take over just because they took over it's because of some of the things that you were saying some of the mistakes that they were being the list were making yeah and then when they were up 22 to 6 I mean uh you know they just scored a touchdown and then they had that bad snap you know goes right on the Barkley's right through her legs and instead of you know, picking the ball up and just eating it. Uh, you know, she attempted to try to throw it. She got strip sacked, and you know they, you know, recovered it and ran it back for a touchdown. And I didn't know that if you recover a uh, an extra point or you intercept an extra point, that that actually turns into a touchdown. I mean, I was completely confused, and apparently, I didn't feel so bad because the, from the Chicago Bliss, uh, you know, his their head coach. He was confused also. He didn't think that was, that was supposed to go that way as well. And then it actually happened again, you know, but not, you know, in Chicago's favor. This time the Seattle threw, you know, uh, uh, K.K. Matheny threw an interception in the back of the end zone, and it was ran back, you know, by Tamar Fennell. And, and so I'm, I'm like, wow, I mean, this 
like the rule part of it, I had to get used to that. I was complaining about it at first, but I'm like, you know, after I've seen the second one, I said, man, you know, this kind of makes a good conversation piece, man. This is, you know, it, it makes the, the strategy a little bit better. But if they can yeah, and, just and overcame so, those, those turnovers, they would have been fine. And I think you're, uh, to your point, yeah, I think Coach Hack probably wasn't aware of it because <laughs> he was kind of not, not happy with the fact that <laughs> that was, you know, that wasn't a cool thing to do. <laughs> Yeah, he, uh, especially he came when the coach's box and screaming and everything. Oh yeah, I said, "Oh man, I, I didn't. I don't feel so bad now." <laughs> yeah, I mean the off-season rule change was made to uh, to the scoring of conversion plays, and so now when a defensive returns an extra point uh, turnover for a score, that score is worth six points, resulting in a touchdown. So the defensive return of an extra point equals six points now. And then all extra points will be attempted during the regular play. Extra points will not be uh, attempted in an overtime period. So there's, uh, I think, the fine print that somebody or the coach didn't understand at this point. Um, but the rule change has missed, uh, from what I'm told, a lot of the coaches in, in the league had mixed opinions or, uh, about it. And Coach Hack himself was quoted on saying, uh, completely disagrees with it, <laughs> unquote, like you did. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, look, man, I'll tell you this, though. They, man, Seattle, they have some players. I mean, Matheny is an athlete. She is. K.K. Matheny is an absolute athlete, man. But the the player that I was mostly impressed with is Stevie Schnorr. They list her at 120 pounds. It is no way she weighs 120 pounds running away she does, man. And, listen, I, I wrote down in my notes, okay, Stevie Schnorr, running back. She's a bull. Before I even knew what her nickname was, her nickname is actually he is a bull. <laughs> Stevie the Bull Schnorr. And I'm like, that, I, I just shout out, shout out to the bull. Man, I uh, said, yo, you know that, that's, that's, uh, that that's Canada's that's Canada's import. You know that, right? She's not American. Yeah, I, well, I saw when she <laughs> took off her helmet after she after she scored her, her final touchdown, and she had that maple leaf on her head. I said, ah, Canadian, all right, all right cool. Yeah, man. So I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm peeping her out, man. There's no way that girl weighs 120 pounds. The yeah, way she's, she's awesome. running over she's people, awesome. she she is a bull for real, man. The the, the reality here, uh, Troy, is that Seattle has an all star roster. <laughs> it's like a coach yeah. in heaven's dream. Uh, just too much talent. I mean, they got former players from uh, six years six years in into this league. They understand the transition. They understand how the game is played. They got returning players this year. I mean, you can't have a better script uh, for a you know lock, stock, and barrel type of season. And and they're they're going to run the table. I just I don't see anybody that's going to stop them at this point. I don't even see it. I mean, if Chicago can't do it, the only team I can think of that might stop them would be Dallas. And if the LA doesn't do it, it would be Dallas because Dallas has looked pretty impressive in their first outing. If they if you can play to a one-point win against Los Angeles, then you, you can probably compete with, with Seattle. And we're going to see that game, uh, I think it's June 18th, where Seattle takes on Dallas. So you're, we're going to get to see that, second home game for Dallas. Um, this past week, we'll review next week. Next week, we'll take a look at Austin Acoustics taking on the Dallas Desire, and we're gonna, it'll be Troy's first view of Dallas. So we'll get a perspective of whether they can go – you know, compete with Seattle. We'll see that. But 46-6 to six this past weekend live, uh, it was uh, Dallas Desire taking on 
the Austin Acoustics. Acoustics were coming off a 41-21 uh, beating uh, beating New England. So totally different monster. Uh, I think Houston uh, at this. I mean Austin at this point got the same uh, treatment that they got in the first week, 48, uh, 44 to eight. So like that's why I'm comparing that Dallas is more equipped, sort of like Seattle. So that that'll be a great game to watch. Absolutely, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I caught um, that uh, the L.A. Uh, Dallas game, so I mean, I'm definitely impressed with Dallas, and I'm definitely impressed with uh, Coach Two uh, and his squad out in L.A. So I just, I'm just looking forward to watching more of these games, man. So next week uh, we don't have an LFL live game, so there's no LFL because of Memorial Day weekend. But Week Eight is going to be exciting. The the new look Omaha Heart who uh, basically took, you know, they, they beat down on New England 26-6. to six. We will see how good this Hart team is when they take on the Atlanta team. Atlanta is the best in the East right now, given Chicago's, de- uh, you know, digression. Uh, Atlanta would probably be the top top seed in the, in the East. We'll see how uh, Atlanta fares up, uh, Dakota Hughes and company out there, and see how they match up. So it'll be June 3rd. It'll be Omaha Hart taking Atlanta team. That same weekend, uh, this coming next week, you'll see Austin Acoustics against Dallas. Um, so on uh, YouTube channel, so keep LFLUS.com, or you can go to the Legends Football League on YouTube. So that's going to be week six that we just recapped, uh, 40 to 28, as the uh, Seattle Miss continue to steamroll 3 0, taking on uh, Chicago. Chicago will not play until June 25th, so they got a lot of time to think about. And they get basically a cookie uh, because New England Liberty hasn't played that well so far against their matchups. So I don't know if that's going to be a bad home opener for them. But Chicago takes on New England uh, on June 25th. So we're looking forward to those two matchups. And then Los Angeles Temptation after the Omaha-Atlanta game, week nine, the Temptation returns and they're on the road taking on Austin. And we'll see how good they are. Uh, in terms of take it, uh, coming up against a veteran team like Los Angeles. So uh, LFL, deep into the playoffs, uh, as of week nine, you get into, you get, you're going to get a sense as to who's going to be in the mix or not. But so far through week seven, uh, we're looking at uh, Seattle, the top dog in the, in the league. We have not seen the East uh, best team yet in Atlanta play, so we, won't, we don't know exactly how they are. So let's go into the recap, uh, Troy. Um, let me go here. North America recap. The Sugar and Spice Football League 2016 uh, through three weeks as follows. They started their week one, May 14th. The Harlington, or Harlingen uh, Honeys debuted with a win against the McAllen Mystics. McAllen's a veterans, veteran franchise. 28-18, uh, hats off to the Honeys for their first win against uh, a veteran squad, the Mystics. Week two, May 21st, this past weekend, Corpus Christi Mermaids. They win their season opener 16 to 6 via the San Antonio uh, versus the San Antonio Cowgirls, also of that team. And so week three, May 28th and 29th, this coming weekend on Memorial Weekend, will feature a doubleheader. The McAllen Mystics looking to rebound to get a first win in 2016. They will take on the El Paso Envy, and the San Antonio Cowgirls also looking for their first win in 2016. Uh, they will take on the impressive Week One Harlingen uh, Honeys who come in undefeated. So we'll keep tabs on it. You can check our Facebook page for the results. You can also go to Sugar and Spice Football League on Facebook. 
So let's go to Mexico, and I will give you the update. In Mexico, it was uh, 21-14. Congratulations to the Heartbreakers against the Jaguars. So I'll give you that um, uh, result, which I did not post it up when we did the lineup here. So let's go to Mexico now and uh, FXX Mexico. Uh, the FXF Mexico MVPs are showcased on our Facebook, um, including the weekly results. So you can go there to check it out, and you can follow, search FXF Mexico. Now, Lex for the 2016 MVPs are also showcased on our Facebook page. So you can take a peek at our best pro- at the best players through week four, and you can follow and search Lexa, L-E-X-F-A, and their website is at arenafootball.com.mx slash C-A-L-E-N-D-A-R-I-O, that's Calendario, uh, excuse, excuse me, Calendario, uh, dash Feminel, uh, F-E-M-E-N-I-L, dash 16 slash. Now, PGFL Pretty Bowl will take place on June 4th. Now, that's the West Angels versus the Evil Queens. I love that name, the Evil Queens. Uh, get all the information, and you can follow them at Pretty Girls Football, or you can follow them on their Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash Liga PGFL slash. Oscar, you want to take care? Uh, go ahead and take us to Europe, Troy. Okay, uh, so the FIFA Spain 2016 final is, is set, and the Barbera Rookies versus the Barcelona Buffaloes. That'll be on June 11, 2016, uh, the game day recap. And you can check out the website for that. It's uh, www.nflhispano.com. And um, uh, so just take a look at that, and, you know, we'll we'll keep our tabs on that, and we'll update you also. But take a look at that website when you guys get a chance. I'll go ahead and take Australia as well. Uh, this past weekend, the Gridiron New South Wales and the ACT Gridiron Squad versus the newly formed uh, Gridiron Victoria Eagles on the May, t- or May 21st, the Eagles – one thirty-eight to twenty-four. Now, if you guys want to check out the replay, you can follow on live stream via the uh, GridironVictoria.com. That's on the website. Just also give you guys a reminder: you can visit our Zazzle uh, website, uh, Zazzle.com/slash/GridironBeauties, and you can save big with daily codes. So far, we have raised sixty dollars toward the goal to help the Outback Squad and, um, uh, this year in two thousand sixteen, and the month is not over yet for May. So go ahead and check it out when you guys get a chance to. All right. So big games this weekend. Big games this weekend in the WFA and the IWFL, as well as the Western Canadian Women's Football League. So stay tuned all weekends via our partners on Twitter, MyWSports, at WFB Fan Art. Michael Burmey will give us the rundown in the WFL and the IWFL. Uh, at Stank Sports, Darren Stanky will have his uh, recaps on the WWCFL. And Random Riot Fan uh, will also have coverage of the Regina Riot during the uh, game day season. So we will tweet out the live feeds as they become available, plus also week three in Germany and week four in the Women's Maple Series in Sweden. Go ahead, Troy. Hey, wanted to give a shout-out to Neil Rosendahl for coming on the show and always, as always, being an informative guy that he is schooling me on women's football and informing us of all the ins and outs of women's football, so we definitely appreciate that. Hey, Holly, you know, hope to catch you next week. You know, you didn't get us this time, but, hey, man, anytime you want to come on, you are welcome to us. We missed you, but, uh, you know, we'll catch you next time. Hey, and people out there, don't forget to subscribe and follow us here on Blog Talk Radio. 
click the follow button and don't miss a show. Also, check out our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest news of Women's Gridiron. Shout out to all our network partners that help us bring you the news. Um, we appreciate your efforts. And until next week, my name is Troy Wilson, and I'm speaking for Oscar and Nkishi. I'll catch you guys next week on Gridiron Bliss Radio, on Blog Talk Radio, UltimateSportsTalk.com, and also on the LFL Network via John M. Davis Books. Have a great weekend, everyone. All right, everybody. Have a great weekend. See you later, Troy. See ya.